0: This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, the definitive look at all things outdoors in the true north. Well, today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we are talking with Christine Herwig. She's the Northwest Regional DNR non game specialist. Hey, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, um, what is a non game specialist? Oh, a non-game specialist. Well, we primarily work with non-game species, and those are defined as species that are not hunted, fished, or trapped. And I do a variety of things to help these non-game species. So I do surveys, we provide technical guidance, we provide advice to folks who are developing land or managing land. Uh, We do a lot of outreach with citizens, uh, among a variety of other things. So
0: people who own a chunk of land and maybe want some advice on how they can attract more? Non-game wildlife? Is that what um, we're talking about? Or? I,
1: I haven't done a lot of work with individual citizens. I've worked primarily with other DNR staff who are managing for a suite of wildlife species or to include rare species in their management. So that's another focus of ours. We do work a lot with our rare or endangered or threatened species. And we tr- try and provide guidance that helps them manage to include those into their um, activities.
0: So what are some of the endangered species in, in our neck of the woods?
1: In our neck of the woods. That's a good question. Um, I, I work a lot. A lot of our, our listed species, uh, non-game species, are in the prairie because our prairie oh. is most limited. So we have things like um, yellow rails or chestnut collared longspurs. Um, I'm just trying to think of some <laughs> right now. It's a good question. Um, we work with species like goshawks, red-shouldered hawks. Um, Those are some of the ones in the forest. We do have some amphibians and reptiles, things like blandings, turtles, wood turtles, um, four-toed salamanders that we work with as well.
0: You know, one of the nice things I think about living in, in this area, it is, first of all, it's a great outdoor area. And secondly, the people who live here by and large appreciate that great outdoor area. Um, so I think, I mean, everybody's got their own opinions. I'm sure there's disagreements. I know there isn't when you go to the fisheries meetings. But by and large, people are on the same page. They, they want a great outdoor experience.
1: You bet. I agree. Um, You know, I hear from a lot of people who love seeing loons when they're visiting uh, on weekends or living up here summer long. They enjoy seeing eagles or watching them raise their young. Um, Right now, there's a lot of focus on pollinators. So I get calls about people seeing monarchs um, or other butterflies or bumblebees. So there's a lot of interest from citizens in Minnesota in general uh, with non-game species.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the pollinators. I know that has been a huge concern Nationally, um, what is our situation here in that regard?
1: Well, again, I would say in Minnesota we're fairly lucky. We do have a lot of intact habitats. Uh, we do have some species that we're concerned about, particularly in the prairie area because we're we're limited there the most. Um, but we've got a fair number of our pollinators, but we don't want to lose them, and we want to continue to improve habitat for them, make sure that they have all the flower resources that they need on the landscape.
0: It is when you think about it. I mean, and and, and you with dealing with things like that the interdependence that makes this world go round is really staggering when you get down to it.
1: You bet. I was reading the other day just in a way to explain that biodiversity. So think of a puzzle. All those different pieces are all the different species that are out there. And if you can see the picture when you have all the pieces, but you start removing the pieces and the picture becomes less clear. And I think, you know, again, it's a good example of how to explain something like biodiversity because it kind of shows that interconnectedness as well. Um, You know, I think about all the time people who hunt or fish, the species that they're targeting do have a connection with these non-game species, even species like deer. They browse, so they need shrubs and things to forage on. A lot of those shrubs have fruit, so they rely on pollinators to produce the fruit and something to disperse the fruit. And so often that's our birds, our um, small mammals, and our insects that are moving those fruits around to, to disperse the shrubs. The other thing is some of those fruits, those seeds and things, will only germinate if they pass through a digestive system of another animal. Um, Not all of them, but some of the plants we have, they will not sprout if they don't pass through the digestive system of an animal. So all these things are interconnected, and we can usually tie back to some of our non-game species if we think about it.
0: Non-game species. So are you working? I mean, I'm I'm sure there's um, some water involved. There's forest involved? You talked about the prairie already. What else is involved?
1: Yep, we work with all the habitats and we work with all the major animal groups. So non-game have species that are mammals, birds, amphibians, reptiles, fish, insects. I'm probably missing some, but um, <laughs> we work with all the animal groups as a as a program. We all have our specialties. I've worked primarily with birds, although I've tried to diversify into working with insects and, and some other species as well. Um, but it really covers all the groups groups and it's 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 very diverse. And in northwestern Minnesota we have a wide variety of habitats. We have prairie, we have forest, we've got peatlands, we've got large rivers, we've got large lakes, we've got wetlands. We basically have it all. So it's it's uh it's never boring, it's always diverse. And um we do have a wide variety of species that we work with. There's over eight hundred species that my program generally works with.
0: Wow. I, I know that um you know one of the things I enjoy and I think everybody enjoys is going out on the deck on a spring or summer day, early in the morning, listening to the birds. That's a very important part of just, and there's no practical need for it, but there's a need for it. If you understand what I'm trying to say. And Uh, that's what you work with, right?
1: You bet. And I can remember very distinctly when I was in college, um, I had looked for birds before, but I had never really listened for them. And I took an ornithology class to learn more about birds. And the professor had us go out and listen for birds. And once you start listening and trying to identify birds, it's sort of a thing that you that you can never step away from because you're always listening. So then you're like, is that an insect or a bird? Uh, you know, and which bird is it? And what are they doing? And why are they making that sound? Or, you know, I've got blue jays in my yard. They make all these sounds. Then all of a sudden something something different will happen. You're like, why is he making that sound? Um, so I think it's just, uh, you know, there's, there's visual aspects. There's hearing aspects to these critters. And I think it's just, um, it is exciting and fascinating. But I like the fact
0: that in addition to the the important biodiversity aspects we talked about, there is just that that beauty aspect too.
1: Oh, you bet. Um, so, so one example I bring up all the time, I, I went to school in Australia for a year, and while I was there, numerous citizens of Australia asked me if I had seen a blue jay. It's something we see every day, and we just, you know, a lot of people don't even like them because they view them as aggressive at their bird feeder, but we don't have a lot of blue birds. And if you're coming from the outside, something mm-hmm. like a chickadee or a blue jay, some of these other northern species that we have are really incredible, and we don't we don't always um, view them for what they are. They are, are really fascinating species, and blue jays are beautiful. More of the great outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors.
0: My guest today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, Christine Herwig, the non-game wildlife specialist with the Northwest Regional DNR office. You said you worked a lot with birds. How many species of birds do we have in Minnesota? That's a good question. <laughs> I know, asked the tough uh, one, sorry. I,
1: I, I, think it's, I think we have just under 300 species statewide. I okay. think it's in that order of magnitude. And the exact number is challenging because as the climate's getting warmer, we are having some more rare species that are seen here. We do have a few species that show up some winters. They get blown off course. Um, so we do get some additional species that show up from time to time. Northern Minnesota has some of the better diversity of species because, again, we've got that diversity of habitats. So I actually have more diversity in my work area than some of my other colleagues in the rest of the state uh, because of the diversity of habitats.
0: I have heard people up here have seen the the Cardinal. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen one yet. Are they here?
1: They are here. Um, People do see them every summer. We get more and more people that are reporting them. I know I saw one at my house two summers ago, and I'm like, the first Cardinal! And I went back and looked through my records, and we had had one two years earlier (laughs) than that. Um, So they do occur from time to time, but they're not common yet. We'll see. Their populations are definitely moving north. And again, that's
0: part of the warming, I'm
1: guessing. Yeah. Um, so yes, the climate's warming. The, the biggest part is we're, we're warming in winters. And so some of our species that would normally leave for winter are able to stay and then they better compete for their breeding territories when they get back. So the other one that I think of is the red-bellied woodpecker. That's a species, if you look at old range maps, did not come into northern Minnesota. I have them that I can see in my yard almost year round. Usually January, February, I don't see them. So I don't know if they migrate just a little bit south to avoid the coldest part of winter mm-hmm. if they're just not as active, um, but they're now here in Bemidji and they have been staying pretty much over winter the last handful of years. You're looking at 10 or 15 years. Like I said, if you look at old range maps, you won't see that species up in northern Minnesota.
0: There's a couple of birds that I know are up here, as I've seen them in my yard once. I've seen a pair of indigo buntings once, and I've seen a scarlet tanager fly by once. Stunning. How do I find more of these? They they are (laughs) stunning. They're absolutely stunning birds.
1: Well, the best way I would say to find some of these birds is to get a guidebook and see where some of the species are found. There's a number of resources online that will help. Cornell's website called All About Birds has some great information. and It'll tell you what habitats, where to find them, when to find them. There was a breeding bird atlas that was conducted in Minnesota a number of years ago, and that gives you some spatial information. It gives you uh, townships anyway where they're found. And with those two pieces of information, you could go look for those birds. During migration, they tend to be found in maybe some slightly different locations. Um, They use slightly different habitat as they're moving around versus where they breed. The indigo buntings, the best place to look for them, in my opinion, is where you can find some relatively short conifers with some open habitat nearby, like open grasslands. Um, I've seen them at the Brainerd um, rest area that's in between the highways there um, and the pines that are there. The scarlet tanager is a forest interior species, so you're more likely to hear them than see them. Even though they're bright red, they do blend in pretty well once everything leafs out, and they're typically found in forest interior. So they're a little harder to find. They tend to be up high in the canopy, but during migration, they might come through, and you could see them at your feeders. Didn't even make
0: it to my feeder. I was driving home. I just turned off on the road, and right before I got to my driveway, he just flew across. Never saw him again.
1: Yep, incredible. Oh it, was. it was. Yep, you just get all those wonderful experiences. I mean, you have I have a number of monarchs that migrate through my property. I love that. I've had shrews or voles kind of pop up and pop back down into my grasslands. I mean, all of those things are just fun and wonderful experiences. I I just really enjoy them. And I think it gives you an appreciation for what's out there. So, how did you get into this biz? Um, I can tell you very specifically when I was in 4th grade, I did some research on river otters and since then, I just always had an interest in wildlife. I've always liked animals, and we had a lot of pets growing up. Um, and when I went into grad school or late in high school, I, I really enjoyed biology, and I really wasn't sure whether I wanted to work with plants or animals, because I liked both so much. I started working with plants, and I found a good animal, um, what was it, in university. There was a good natural resources program. I interviewed with the professors there. I really enjoyed what they had to talk about, and... That's how I got into working with wildlife. I just stepped into it. I found a good program, and then I got lots of experience. I did a lot of field work as I was going through my undergraduate education, and I just loved it. I was out working with piping plovers. I I grew up in Massachusetts, so I worked Mm -hmm. with piping plovers on the coast, and then I moved – To Alberta and Saskatchewan, did work with waterfowl. I moved down to the Carolinas. I did some work with waterfowl there as well. I've done some work with amphibians and reptiles, and I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being outside. I enjoyed working with these animals, and so it it all really stemmed from a report I did back in fourth grade.
0: (laughs) In Massachusetts and Minnesota... They have the same letter, but uh, separated by a lot of miles.
1: It's true. My family still lives there, and I miss oh. seeing them. Um, but I came here for work. Minnesota has, uh, it's a great place to live. They've got a good DNR program. You know, it's a, it's a good agency to work for. And um, I've been very happy. Bemidji's a great community to live in. And we do have a lot of wildlife resources that are in good shape, places where we can make improvements. But, again, we've we have got a lot of good stuff to start with.
0: So, Red Sox Nation? <laughs>
1: If I watch sports, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: So you weren't all that bummed about the Super Bowl then. <laughs> nope. But <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. well, where in Massachusetts exactly? Uh, I grew up in Shelmsford, which is near Lowell, which is okay. about 45 minutes northwest of Boston. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Well, um, you know,
0: uh, a guy who's got a yard with some trees, you know, surrounded by woods, I like the birds. What can I do to get more of them?
1: I would say go native. Uh, (laughs) The more we can put native plants back on the landscape, the better it is for our native species. And I would also think about diversity. So look at the other kinds of trees and and shrubs and flowering plants that are in your neighborhood. You want to look for native species that are doing well and see if you can find them. There's many resources out there to help you find native plants, but all of our species have evolved with native plants. I still think you can include some ornamental plants in your yard, but if you can find more native plants and make sure you've got fruiting shrubs Shrubs that produce um, seeds and things. Um, conifers are nice because they provide cover in the winter for a lot of our species. Um, but you want to look for diversifying your yard. Uh, if you're trying to benefit pollinators, you want to think about having three different kinds of pol- uh, flowering plants every month of the year, every month of the summer, from April to or May until August. Okay. Um, so three three types of flowering plants. Man. Uh, every month from May to August would be ideal for pollinators, um, and it would help birds too. Any
0: particular, I mean, everybody's got seed mixes that they say bring the birds to your feeder. What what do the birds really want to eat?
1: At the feeder, yeah. the primary food that most birds like, and there's been research on this, is the black oil sunflower seed. Okay. That is the most popular um for two reasons. One is it provides a good amount of nutrition. And the second part is it's easily cracked by a wide number of species. So that's why it's one of the more popular species. And I encourage people to create their own mixes if that works for them. I find in the winter, millet, the small round seed doesn't really get consumed. We don't have doves in the winter. They're one of the primary Mm. consumers of that millet. So I make my own mix. I buy um, the types of seed that the birds in my yard enjoy. And I always include those black oil sunflower seeds.
0: Okay. What about suet?
1: Suet, suet is good for most species. It's important in the winter. It's a good source of fat, and that is um, energy is really important in the winter for most of our birds for them to be able to survive. So suet's good to put out. It's useful to put out maybe the prepackaged stuff in the summer because it doesn't melt as readily. In the winter, you can get away with using beef suet or that sort of that sort of product. Okay. Anything else I need to know? Ah, it's a good. Oh, we should talk about the checkoff. Oh, yes, yes. It's still tax time. It
0: is tax time. And that checkoff has been going on for quite some time here in Minnesota.
1: Yep. Since the late 1980s, um, the legislature passed a law that allowed us to collect money, donations, and... All of our, Almost all of our work is funded by those donations. About 80% of our budget comes from donations. We do not get money from licensed sales, general funds, or park passes. The majority of our funds come from donations from citizens. You can either donate on your tax forms. Line 21, where it says, would you like to donate to the non-game fund? That's what pays for the work that we do. Or you can go to our website. We do have, uh, if you look up the non-game wildlife program, there is a donut. donut <laughs> a donate button that allows you to uh, donate to our program and then we put those funds towards projects, surveys, uh, habitat work to benefit non-game species.
0: So what projects do you have going on right now?
1: Well every year we do a loon survey as part of Minnesota's loon monitoring program. We've got surveys in Becker and Ottertail County and that's a program that I help coordinate. I've got surveys that we've been doing on common terns. They're one of our state-threatened species. They tend to use uh, islands and sandy open habitats, which we don't have a lot of anymore, and they're vulnerable to high water levels and predation, so we've been trying to learn a little bit more about them. I mentioned I've been doing a little bit of work with pollinators, so I've gone to some of our state-owned lands, uh, tried to assess what kind of pollinator resources we have in some of those areas, and I have one project trying to learn a little bit more about snakes, We actually have a couple of rare snakes, and I'm looking for them in some of our rare uh, habitats as well. And I was able to find one in Hubbard County, which was pretty exciting, the... um it wasn't poisonous, was it? Uh, no, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a green snake. I'm just oh. trying to think if it's the northern green snake or which green snake it okay. is. Um, many people would probably refer to them as a grass snake, but um, they're a small, maybe 12-inch long, um, finger-wide, bright green snake. And um, they're hard to survey, and we think their populations are declining. So okay. I'm trying to learn a little bit more about them. The
0: only snake I've ever seen in my life living in Minnesota my whole life, garter snake. Never seen any other kind of snake.
1: We have a few other ones that you can see here in Bemidji, like the red belly snake. Um, the, the, let's see, what else do we have here in Bemidji? That's probably the most common one. We do have some hognose snakes that people see from time to time. In other parts of my region, I'm familiar with some of the others. We've got a gopher snake. We've got a plains hognose snake that's found in the prairie. Um, again, I'm not a snake <laughs> specialist. I only know <laughs> a handful of species that I've worked with. Um, but... Um, You know, a lot of people don't like snakes because they're fairly unfamiliar. Um, They tend to surprise us when we see them, but they are important to the environment. Um, They do eat insects and, uh, you know, small mammals and things like that, frogs and amphibians and things.
0: Is there any species that seems to shock the most people that when they find out we have them here and people didn't know we had them here?
1: We have timber rattlesnakes in Minnesota. Okay, I didn't know that. Thank you. (laughs) They're they're only in the southeastern part of the state, and one of my colleagues has been doing a lot of work with the species and educating the the local community about the importance of the timber rattlesnake, but that's probably one everybody thinks that they're in the south or even out east, um, but that they're not here in Minnesota. We do have timber rattlesnakes, yep.
0: All right, but... Again, it's warming. It might end up here someday.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. They have some pretty <laughs> specific habitat requirements, okay. so I don't know that they'd be coming anytime fast. No, that's good. <laughs> Not to this area, anyway. Um, uh,
0: how, much, I mean, how much do you work with like lakes and rivers?
1: Um, I've primarily worked with loons and grebes. Um, okay. We do occasionally get some requests if there is some development that's occurring along lake shores. We try and encourage... Uh, you know, protecting vegetation, using natural vegetation if you've got erosion issues, um, you know, to try and help some of these species. A lot of our water birds nest in the vegetation uh, along shore. Things like bitterns and grebes will use the vegetation along shore. So that's primarily what I've worked with. But we do have some rare caddisflies and dragonflies that use those aquatic resources as well, as well as a few rare fish, although I don't really work with them all that okay. often. It just isn't my area of expertise.
0: Okay. So sounds like a a fascinating job.
1: It's diverse, for sure. Yep, there's always something interesting. I get a lot of uh, citizen questions uh, about wildlife they're seeing in the yard or interesting behaviors. I give a number of presentations. Um, that's always fun to get out and, and talk to citizens about their um, their observations.
0: One of the interesting things I found out, you mentioned loons. Um, where do they migrate to?
1: They migrate down to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. Some of them will go to the East Coast as well.
0: And, and what I was told was People down there can't understand why we like the loon so much because I guess they're really ugly in the winter time or when they're down there.
1: Yes, they don a kind of gray drab coat for for winter. It yeah. helps them blend into to the ocean habitat. They don't need to have that flashy coat all all winter. Yeah. Um, another interesting fact about the loons is the young that are born here in Minnesota, they go down to the Gulf of Mexico and they stay there for about four years before they come back. Really? And researchers have found that they come back within 25 miles of where they were born to set up their own territories. I mean, that's just incredible to me.
0: It is. It's, it's absolutely amazing. When you, when you really dive into it, it's just jaw-dropping how amazing nature is.
1: You bet. I totally agree.
0: Well, Christine Herwig is the Northwest Regional DNR Non Game Specialist. Great conversation today for Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Thank you so much for stopping
1: by. We hope to have you again. Thanks for having me. Anytime.
0: Check out Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on Podcast One or iTunes.